Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Most people with advanced cancer don't receive physical therapy or engage in exercise that can help such individuals maintain function and significantly improve their quality of life. Why is that? And what might happen, Mayo Clinic rehabilitation physician Andrea Cheville and others wondered, if telerehabilitation in the form of telephone contact with a physical therapist who had extensive experience in cancer rehabilitation was brought into the treatment mix. A study ensued. As it turned out, the group of patients with advanced stage cancer who received telerehab, in addition to other services, experienced what was described as modest but meaningful improvements over the patients who had not received those phone calls. Perhaps even more significantly, those results would hold broader implications for improvements in the health of people with cancer and other conditions as telehealth in all its technological forms continues to expand. Here to discuss the study and its implications are the aforementioned Andrea Cheville, who was the lead author of the National Cancer Institute-funded study and Nicole Stout, a national leader in oncologic physical therapy research and advocacy. Let's get started. We're going to talk about a study with important implications for people with advanced stage cancer that recently was published in JAMA Oncology, which is a peer-reviewed journal published by the American Medical Association that focuses on cancer. But first, uh, a few words about our guests. Uh, Andrea Cheville is a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician at the Mayo Clinic, who was the study's lead author. Uh, Nicole Stout is a doctor of physical therapy who's certified as a lymphedema therapist by the Lymphology Association of North America. So, Andrea, my first question is for you. The headline of a news release about this study that was put out by the National Cancer Institute, which had funded it, was telephone-based rehab program helps people with advanced cancer maintain independence. I was struck by the lead sentences of that uh, news release, which I'll, which I'll quote here. As cancer progresses, it often leads to physical disability and pain that can threaten a person's independence and devastate their quality of life. Yet most people with advanced cancer don't receive physical therapy or engage in, in exercise that can help maintain function. So two things there. Um, first, can you define for the purposes of this discussion what you mean by quote-unquote advanced cancer? And then what factors contribute to this population not getting the encouragement and the, the kind of help that they need in terms of movement? We formally defined advanced cancer for this study as patients with late stage 3 or stage 4 cancer. And uh, in, in layman's terms, that means cancer stage 3 has spread regionally. So, so these would be folks with not spread throughout the body, but, but more extensive local spread. And, and often they are treated fairly aggressively and, and are therefore vulnerable to loss of function and, and disability. Stage 4 are patients whose cancer has spread to a distant site or remotely. We call that metastatic disease stage four technically. And what we did not anticipate when we began the study was the that the overwhelming number of participants, roughly 95%, would have stage four disease. So advanced or disseminated cancer. And, and for those folks, most of them are on treatment all the time. They, they may have holidays 
where we enter a period of watchful waiting. But for the most part, these patients were receiving some type of anti-cancer treatment because we're, we're trying to keep the cancer from spreading if possible. So why don't these folks get rehabilitation services more often? And I spent much of the early part of my career trying to better understand that question. And I think in part, cancer care centers around the cancer. It centers around imaging studies to characterize the cancer and treatments for the cancer. And what we've noted, it, it function, it's not only function-directed care that, that sometimes gets put on the back burner, management of symptoms, uh, psychological distress, uh, back to vocational concerns, how to keep our patients in the workforce if they want to be or getting back to work. So a lot of these, what I and I believe many people feel are pretty critical dimensions of, of the cancer patient's experience are overshadowed by the demands of treatment. And so what we find when patients aren't in cure-directed treatment, as might include surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, we still see uh, an under-treatment of their physical impairments and, and functional limitations. But I think we're getting better there. But for the longest time, we found that in advanced disease, it was only when our patients wound up in the hospital, usually for medical reasons, that they received rehabilitative care. And unfortunately, that pattern has persisted. Another part, it's hard for these patients to find clinicians, physical therapists, rehabilitative doctors that are focused on cancer. They're, they're, there's a workforce shortage. And they, they don't have a lot of energy. Receiving cancer treatment takes a tremendous amount of time, money, and energy. And the conventional ways that we deliver physical therapy and other rehabilitation services require patients to make one more trip to the clinic or the hospital, one more copay. And these folks just don't have it. So we really haven't adapted the way we deliver rehabilitative services to meet these patients' needs. Before we get into the study's details, what was it that you and your colleagues wanted to find out? I mean, were there working assumptions that you uh, you wanted to test? Very much so. A colleague, actually a, a co-investigator on the study, Dr. Kurt Kronke, who is very well known uh, for developing strategies to detect and treat depression in primary care, extended that work to p patients with cancer, and he published a very influential um, trial. It was called the Indiana Pain and Depression Study, the InkPad study. And he showed that when we extend the models that have been developed in, in primary care, uh, namely the, the collaborative care model, to patients with cancer to address their pain and depression, they get better. And it's the, the collaborative care model involves measurement-based care, but, but most importantly, it involves supporting, resourcing, and designating an allied health professional, often they're nurses, but, but certainly uh, physical therapists can serve that role, but they are the care manager for that patient, and much of the care is delivered remotely. In fact, in Dr. Kronke's study, the, the InkPad trial, everything was remote by telephone. So very convenient for patients, no extra travel, and it worked. And we, we've seen this pattern for different treatment targets, different populations, and our question was, well, why not function? I've spent my career uh, in cancer rehabilitation, so I 
and certainly patients with cancer don't have a monopoly on losing function. This is something we are seeing really across the board in, in all of, whether it's cardiac or pulmonary disease, all of our patients. But because of my clinical interest in patients with cancer, that was our target. And we wanted to ask, could we, in a cost-sensitive way, if it's too expensive, it won't fly, but with an eye to, to expenses, could we deliver function-directed care, rehabilitation services, in a way that was easy and accessible to our patients, our high-needs, late-stage cancer patients? So let's talk a little bit about this, the study's construction. You, you and your colleagues enrolled, uh, I believe, 516 adults, pretty evenly divided between women and men, and placed them in one of three control groups. Uh, what uh, were the characteristics of the participants and what were the elements of uh, each control program? Sure. The, the participants, we, we didn't require that they were on any active treatment, although the, the majority were receiving some type, whether it was, was systemic chemotherapy, radiation, or hormonal therapy. We, we did, as, as we've discussed previously, require that they have late stage 3 or stage 4 cancer, so that means either metastatic disease or uh, fairly advanced regional disease. They had to, they had to be able to speak English. Uh, with sufficient fluency to converse on the telephone and, mm -hmm. and not be so hard of hearing that they couldn't converse on the phone. But apart from that, we, we really did not impose any restrictions on cancer type or, or other demographics. So it was, it was a very, I would, I would suggest, representative population. One of the limitations of the studies is, is these were all patients recruited from Mayo Clinic facilities. And anytime you have a single health system, uh, there, there's a potential to, for what we would call bias, um, and it limits to, to generalizability. We can't be sure that the, our results would apply to other health systems. But we, we wanted to recruit as, as representative a population as possible, and I think we did succeed in that. And you would ask about what were the study arms. So we mm -hmm. randomized them equally to three arms, and the first arm was a condition of automated monitoring. Actually, we, we used either the fancy word is interactive voice response, really robocalls. So mm -hmm. automated calls to the patient to assess their functional status and their pain. They also had the option to do this via the Internet. They could do it on web or smartphone. And it was about a two-thirds, one-third split. So two-thirds of the patients elected for smartphone or Internet and a third chose robocalls. Mm -hmm. And those data the patient's reports of their pain and function were reported to the primary, their primary cancer care team. That was the control condition. Can we, can we back up for a second? What, what might that robocall say? What might, it, uh, what, what might it tell them to do and how often might they be receiving it? Patients received it monthly in the control group, and it would say, hello, this is your, it, it, a much nicer voice than mine, a very <laughs> gentle feminine voice would say, hello, this is your, your Mayo Clinic uh, pain and function assessment service. We would like to ask you a few questions about how you're doing. And we, we used validated instruments, very rigorously validated instruments, uh, and we would ask them three questions about pain, all rated on a zero to ten scale, and then we would ask them five questions about their function, things like getting in and out of a chair, can you walk half a block, and they had four options. I have no difficulty with it, a little, a lot of difficulty, or I'm unable. Mm -hmm. And 
once they responded to those, we would generate a, a nice printed report for the primary service that alerted them not only to the patient's responses, but also if these had changed. So maybe they had been saying, oh, my pain is a 2 to 3, but now it's gone up to a 6 to 7. So we highlighted that increase for the primary care team. So in effect, it was an active control condition. So that's that, that that's what I'm sorry I was going just going to ask that that's one of the arms but there are, there are three different arms correct Yep yep the second arm was then uh having what we called a fitness care manager and that was a physical therapist these are Mayo based physical therapists with who are quite experienced in managing cancer patients we had two and they presented instructed our participants actually in both the second and the third arm so this, the fitness care manager was a component of both the ARM 2 and 3 interventions. And they instructed our participants in a resistive exercise program. We called it rapid, easy strength training. They used TheraBands for resistance. We wanted this to be easy for the patients. It's no more than 10 to 15 minutes a day. But the old adage, use it or lose it, is particularly true in cancer. If, if our patients are inactive, they lose lean muscle mass very quickly. And the, the REST, or Rapid Easy Strength Training Program, was designed to help them spend just a enough time every day to be able to keep their lean muscle mass. Because when that goes, they become weaker. They're less able to tolerate cancer treatments. They're more likely to be hospitalized. They don't feel as well. So it's simple but, but a high-yield program. And they also instructed the patients in uh, a pedometer-based walking program. So we, we didn't use fancy Fitbits or Apple Watches. These were just simple step counters that, that our participants clipped to their, their belts and would keep track of their step counts. And then patients were encouraged to increase their goal. We, we didn't mandate, say, a 10% increase. It wasn't prescriptive. We let our participants decide how they wanted to advance their program. And so the, the therapist coached them in this. If the patients had additional impairments, so a rotator cuff problem in their shoulder or a bad knee, bad back, we strongly encourage them to work with a local physical therapist uh, to individualize their program so that it was safe and effective for them. Because the last thing we wanted to do was, was injure our participants. So another critical role that the fitness care manager played was reaching out to local therapists who may not regularly treat patients with late-stage cancer. This, in, in my two decades now as a, a cancer rehabilitation specialist, I found that very understandably, generalist physical therapists are, are worried when they uh, – when a patient comes to them who may have bone metastases or brain metastases, they obviously don't want to hurt the patient. And so I, I think a, a, a nice element of this study was the partnership that we cultivated between the Mayo-based physical therapist specialist who, who was very experienced and seasoned in, in treating cancer patients and the local PTs to, to support them, be a resource to them, give them guidance if, if the local therapist was worried, could I hurt my patient? Uh, and so uh, the majority of the patients did work with a local PT to individualize their programs. And then we, so, so for those folks, in addition to monitoring their pain and function via these, the robocalls or the internet, we also monitored their adherence to the program. And if they fell off the wagon and did fewer than the 
uh, four recommended rest sessions a week or weren't entering their step count goals, the fitness care manager would, would contact them. And I think that was a, a really important role that they played. Uh, they were a cheerleader, a coach. Uh, often these folks would have a really rough bout of chemo or they'd get hospitalized. And helping them not to be dejected and throw in the towel, but to, you know, get back up and who cares if you've lost some some strength, let's just get right back in there and start again. I I think that was what we found was that was a really important uh, contribution that the fitness care managers made to our patients' care. Now, have we talked about the third arm yet? Is there a third arm to discuss? (laughs) We have not. I'm slowly getting there. Uh, The third arm was exactly the same as the second, only we added pain management. Uh, and the, this, there was a pain, pain care manager who was a nurse, and we used an approach identical to what Dr. Kroenke had validated and proven effective in the INCPAD study, that collaborative care study of, of pain and depression management and cancer. It was very much medication-based. And we thought that was going to be the home run because our, our pilot foundational work had suggested that uh, severe and uncontrolled pain was a real barrier for patients to, with, with, with advanced stage cancer to participate in the rehabilitation process. So we wanted to make sure that that was neutralized and that our patients were fully able to engage. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choosept. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. So now we, we've talked about the three arms, but let's talk about the results. What were the experiences of, of people in each control group or, or arm? Uh, what could you and your colleagues draw from those experiences in, in terms of their broader implications? Essentially, the control group stayed flat. If, if we look at their function over time, their pain, uh, they stayed flat or got a little bit worse. And the study continued for six months. What we found was that the second arm that only received care from the fitness manager, hands down, they did the best. Their function improved the most and, and significantly greater than the control arm. Their pain improved to a degree that was comparable to arm three, the, the group that had the, the pain care manager nurse, and both arm uh, two and three, their their quality of life improved, but arm two was greater. So this was this really took us aback because we thought, gosh, arm three is getting everything. We mm-hmm. we even expected a, a synergistic interaction. We thought, well, if we address their function and their pain, they're going to markedly improve. And that turned out not to be the case. And we're still trying to understand why that. We noted that difference. What one of the, I think, most important distinctions was that the ARM3 group 
uh, receive significantly more medications to manage their pain. And, and the medications, while controlling pain, can also cause sleepiness and confusion. And that may have played a role. The other thing we found was that the ARM2 participants who only had the fitness care manager support, there was a lot more attention directed to managing their pain with rehabilitative therapies, which was not true of ARM3. I think the assumption with ARM3 was, well, they they're get, have the, the care of the, the pain care manager nurse and pain is taken care of. So what we found in the the treatments and the prescriptions of the fitness care managers, a lot more attention to pain. And this is the first time that we've really had a finding that suggests rehabilitative care may be a very valuable contributor to management of pain in late-stage cancer. Up to this point, if you look in the literature, the emphasis has, has been solidly on medication-based management. There's a, the World Health Organization guidelines have, have overwhelmingly emphasized medications. And so our findings suggest that perhaps in, in, a, in a cautious and, and responsible way, maybe we should start revisiting that. Maybe rehabilitative care through physical therapists, physiatrists, and, and other groups that, that um, think focus on musculoskeletal pain might really have some important contributions uh, to add, to, to enhance it, the management of, of this population. Can I go back for a second? Since, since the since the name of your study was telephone, or, or rather the headline for, for the national per the National Cancer Institute was telephone based rehab program helps people with advanced cancer maintain independence. Uh, uh, you, you had talked about the telephone element uh, initially when you were discussing the, these various um, arms, but uh, did the telephone play a, a role in, in each of the three arms? So, very good question. In only in arm one, to the extent that the robocalls were involved. Mm -hmm. So, roughly for two thirds of the arm one participants, they they did not have any telephone based interaction. It was all unless you consider a smartphone, but that was all more web based. Right, right. Um, but but the thinking is that in that first group, that 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 was a that was a significant contribution. They didn't improve, but what we've seen with, with, with recent studies is at times reporting information on a patient's pain and function to the cancer care team can actually improve outcomes. So we did not design the study to determine the effectiveness of the, the ARM1 condition. We were, we were more interested in, in trying to isolate the effect of the fitness care manager. And so by, by having an active ARM1 with automated monitoring, more or less we can subtract that out and, and be confident that the difference, the incremental benefit we saw in ARM2 could be attributed to the fitness care manager intervention. So, Nicole, uh, you're a physical therapist who's, who's done a great deal of work in the area of uh, cancer rehabilitation. Uh, the National Cancer Institute described this study as demonstrating, quote, modest but meaningful improvements, unquote, for this patient population. Uh, what do you deem to be its significance, and what implications does this study have for the work that you do? Thanks, Eric. Um, I, I think when you look at the modest but meaningful improvements in this study, you know, we're looking really at the primary outcomes, and the primary outcomes were the patient's function 
and pain. Those were the two things that they primarily said, these are the outcomes we really want to look at. And those improved, absolutely, um, to a modest degree and um, showed us, you know, statistically significant change. So I think that's where they were coming from with the modest but meaningful improvements, which are important. But if we sort of look further at the study and what it, um, what it contributed, there's much more significance than just the statistical significance of those outcomes. It was also interesting to see um, the reduction in hospital days. So the impact of these patients having better levels of physical function, less pain, seemed to also be associated with lower number of days in the hospital. So they had shorter duration stays if they did go into the hospital than the other, um, than the other arms of the study, the patients who had the intervention arm too. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for us to think about in rehab. So many times um, we look at, did the patient get better? Are they functioning better? Do they feel better? But in our current environment today in healthcare, we have to start extending that into, but do we also impact the trajectory of healthcare utilization and those types of endpoints? And that's really what this also suggests, which I think is also a significant finding here. And of course, the other um, significance in this, really for me and the work that I do, I see a new model of care beginning to emerge um, based on the outcomes of this study. It is a new and emerging area to use telemedicine, first of all. But the bigger issue is, you know, we're, we're faced with so many cancer survivors. It is a growing population. There are only so many physical therapists out there. And then there's an even smaller number of us that are cancer specialists. What I see in this study is a way to optimize the use of those cancer rehab specialists. You know, the study took the physical therapist and used them not only to do the tele-rehab interventions with the patients. You know, they gave them exercise progression advice identified impairments, but the participants in the study arms two and three also went to a local physical therapist in their community. And the cancer expert, the cancer, the physical therapist cancer expert used tele-rehab communication to coach and to guide the local physical therapist. I think the study said there were the, the, um, there were over 173 different local PTs that received guidance from the cancer rehab experts, the physical therapists, fitness managers, as they called them in the study. So I look at the significance of this. Yes, the functional outcomes were significant to a moderate degree. The pain improvements were significant, reducing the, the length of stay in the hospital. But I look at a, a different perspective, a bigger picture, and say this model of care is what we need to start thinking about to optimally leverage our specialists in cancer rehabilitation, not only to engage with patients far and wide using telemedicine, but also to help those local physical therapists out there or any physical therapist who doesn't have the expertise in cancer rehabilitation. So the model is, is very interesting to me and bears further research and, and, and more, more detailed investigation. 
Well, that's a really interesting point, and it's, and it's a good segue into into my next question, which is, uh, Nicole, what is the current state of telerehabilitation, uh, not just in telephone contact, but in the the wider use of tele, uh, telecommunication technologies uh, in physical therapy, given variations in state practice acts and in the kinds of services that are covered by health insurers, and, and what are the challenges of health rehabilitation in the cancer arena specifically, and, and how uh, what do you see as, as being its promise and, and outlook? Great point, and obviously um, an obvious segue here for us to make because um, this study, at the heart of this, it was a collaborative model that used telerehabilitation. And I think that we have to think about telerehab and telemedicine, as you said, much, much broader than just a telephone call. Telemedicine can be any type of mobile communication, electronic communication. It could be video conference calls. It could be an app. Um, that a patient has on their mobile phone that can communicate information and be used as a mode of of interaction with the therapist um, or with the study team. Um, But it can also be, you know, extensions into the community. So I think we have to think very broadly about what telemedicine means because as technology is growing, we're going to have many different medium that we can use, and we should be looking at how to optimize those. Um, and as you said, there are there are numerous challenges. Some of those are just the logistical challenges of being a uh, the United States of America in a, a federated state model. Mm-hmm. Every state has a practice act. Every state has specific licensure. But in addition to that, we also have some challenges uh, crossing state lines with health insurance coverage. Um, so sometimes health insurance is not portable between states for an individual based on the plan, the health insurance plan that they have. So there are barriers there to payment, um, and there are also barriers there to crossing state lines and treating based on licensure. So where do we go? And So there certainly are challenges, but I don't think any of these are insurmountable. In fact, one of the things that we are seeing, and kudos to our um, Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy, in recognizing that this is really a challenging issue because we've seen the physical therapy licensure compact. If you're not familiar with the compact, this is legislatively initiated, and currently I believe there are about 25 states that have legislative uh, past legislation where there are agreements between the states um, that there can be uh, allow better, it can enable better consumer access to physical therapy services, reducing some of the regulatory barriers so that licensed physical therapists can can cross state lines and treat patients. So that's going to be very helpful in promoting these telemedicine types of models. Um, The health insurance barrier, again, is something that we're going to have to work to overcome with regard to payment for telerehab services. But I will tell you what was also very promising in this study was, again, as I shared earlier, the number of cancer rehabilitation PT experts that were used and being able to support so many disparate therapists, 173, but also when you looked at how much time spent in their communications back and forth, the number of sessions was relatively low. I think it ranged, averaged around 10 to 11 sessions. And then on average, the contact time was about 16 minutes per session intervention from the expert therapist out to the patient and the community therapist. So it really seems as though there are some efficiencies 
um, that we could hold out as benefits of the telemedicine model. And I think, obviously, these things need to be investigated much further. These are just some of the preliminary things that we're seeing in a model like this. And, and this is truly a, a, a novel study, not just in that it was remarkable for Dr. Cheville and her colleagues to get this off the ground, get it, you know, obviously integrated in three different sites around the country and have the success in enrollment that they did with over 500 patients. But just the coordination of care was very streamlined and the reporting was very streamlined and promoted because of the telemedicine intervention. So I think we have to look at some of those as the incidental positive findings out of a study like this and think, how do we now take this to the next step and further study the model, the time of a tele-rehab intervention, the expense, the type of interface that we use, you know, a tele-rehabilitation platform. What does that look like? Who has that software available? Does it integrate into an electronic medical record? So, and how do I bill for that, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. so those are, those are sort of top of mind things that we should be looking forward and thinking, what is the next step from this study? not just in studying the outcomes of an improvement in, in function and mobility with the patients, but also the model. How do we how do we further study the model? Well, it sounds like from everything that you've, you've said, Nicole, um, when, when we talk about the, uh, the study uh, demonstrating, quote, unquote, uh, modest but meaningful improvements, it, it, it's almost like, uh, in journalistic terms, uh, burying the lead. It's, it's kind of like, yes, that's, uh, that's the case, but there's a, there's a bigger story here, it seems to be what you're saying in, in some. It is. And, you know, with a study like this, you obviously years of enrollment and recruitment of patients and, and study follow-up, um, but it's not the end, right? Just because the study is completed and has, this publication has come forward, this is not the end. Really, this is just a catalyst for the beginning of further studies, you know, to, to look more deeper at um, the rehab, tele-rehab intervention and its effectiveness and cost-effectiveness, really, that could be promoted. Um, the touch points in, you think about the touch points across the United States in rural areas, People, the Mayo Clinic is a great example. People don't all live in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, right around the Mayo Clinic or in Jacksonville, Florida, right next to the Mayo Clinic. They come from all over the country. Um, and that's no different than individuals who live in rural areas who travel hours to get to their medical center visits. So, you know, as we start to look at what are the next steps, a study like this really catalyzes us to think about this is just the beginning, and where do we go from here in um, better operationalizing something like this into practice to promote these interfaces in rural? Um, and it doesn't have to be cancer, right? It could be rural engagements and rehabilitation for, for any disease uh, or, or condition. Um, so across the board, I feel like this is, this is a great study. It, it catalyzes a lot of interest in cancer rehabilitation, which is great. Um, being published in JAMA Oncology is huge for rehabilitation providers to see this, but it also gives us a real nice pathway to start thinking about future integration, how we optimize the use of physical therapist specialists in cancer, and you know, and, and use them more ubiquitously uh, across the country. Use them as a resource to help to drive care for you know the multiples of patients that we can see by using tele rehab communication technologies.
One of the things that you were quoted as, as saying in the, in the National Cancer Institute's uh, news release was, and I'm quoting you here, one of the key issues we learned from our study is the importance of helping patients understand that cancer care isn't only about treating the cancer. And uh, you had gone on to emphasize the need to convince patients to, uh, to quote-unquote, take ownership of protecting and strengthening their own physical function. Um, so I want to ask you, Andrea, why is this education so important? Who should be delivering it, and, and what do you feel are the keys to delivering it effectively? Those are outstanding questions that I wrestle with every day of my you know, professional life. I think there's an assumption, and there's some basis for this based on, on research that we've done, that both clinicians and patients see the cancer as the problem, that I'm, I'm weak, I'm limited, I hurt, I'm short of breath because of the cancer. And if what we need to do is treat the cancer, and when we treat the cancer, I'll go back to the way I was before I had the cancer. Mm -hmm. The cancer is the problem there, ergo, let's treat the cancer. And unfortunately, that's simply not accurate, That because as we treat the cancer, if we don't attend to the host, the, the patient that is carrying the cancer, they can suffer terribly. We talked about the loss of lean muscle, but th there are many other consequences of cancer and its treatment that take a tremendous toll on the patient. And un unless we attend to those, patients become disabled, they become symptomatic, they become less able to tolerate their cancer treatment. And I have always assumed the need that just treating the cancer is not enough. As a rehabilitation physician, that's a core belief of, of the way we practice. So it, it took me, honestly, years to realize that cancer patients sometimes need help, as do cancer clinicians, in making the leap to we have to very intentionally and strategically take care of the patient who is housing this cancer if we are mm -hmm. going to achieve optimized outcomes. Mm -hmm. in, this con in this context, what does it mean for a, a patient to, to quote-unquote, take ownership? Well, I think recognizing that to stay fit means moving every day. And there's a, a lot of people, take ownership doesn't mean you're solely responsible. Right. Different. But, but taking ownership does mean that you reach out for help, that you recognize the importance of treating your symptoms, that this is not a situation where more pain equals more gain, uh, that, that, and that cancer physicians generally are focused on the cancer. They're, they're less focused and, and very understand. That's a full-time job plus to interpret imaging studies, counsel patients about their treatments, go through the different options, treat the toxicities, the acute toxicities. That's more than a full-time job, and they don't have a lot of bandwidth left for addressing these other consequences of the treatments, but, but also just the cancer itself. And so I think taking ownership means recognizing that the cancer team can't do it all, that there's a lot of help out there to stay fit, stay strong, to control the symptoms, but cancer patients need to take some ownership for reaching out, making those connections, seeking that care, and sticking with it. So kind of to bring our, our discussion full circle, uh, what, what, do you, what would you summarize as, as being kind of the key takeaway from this study that you'd encourage listeners to this podcast to, to kind of take to heart and, and consider? One thing we, we, that I think is important that we didn't mention 
uh, when we were talking about the results is the fact that, that in both ARM2 and ARM3, they spent less time in the hospital, quite a bit less time than ARM1, although the, the, the difference was only statistically significant for ARM2, but they spent less time in the hospital and they were much less likely in both arms to go to nursing homes. And that's one, I, I think I can safely say I have never met a patient who wanted to go to a nursing home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, staying in their own environment, on their own terms, able to do what they want to do when they want to do it. That's one of the, the key goals of, of virtually all our patients. And I think we demonstrated that with a relatively inexpensive and from the patient's point of view, not not too demanding, certainly not in terms of cost or travel or time investment. Uh, one of their key goals, which is staying out of the hospital and not being in a nursing home, was, was better realized among the group that received the intervention. My takeaway is that we need to aggressively explore novel patient-centric, meaning convenient ways of delivering effective care to patients. This, this, this was fairly simple, a, a walking program and a very basic strength training program with a little bit of, of, of support, guidance, refinement from local physical therapists. It, in the scope of what we are currently paying for our cancer treatments, not a lot of money, and yet in terms of realizing patients' goals, the returns were high. And so I think that policymakers, payers, providers need to come together to find easy ways of, of providing effective care to our patients, and specifically rehabilitative care that addresses function. And I, and I guess I guess a message here is that um, the, the benefits of exercise, the benefits of physical therapy, uh, extend far longer into the cancer than perhaps people might might understand or recognize. Very much so. The the exercise as medicine movement has has certainly gained traction in cancer. We know that for certain types of cancer, breast and colorectal are, are probably the, the principal examples that exercise is protective. It, it protects you from getting the cancer. We call that primary provision, prevention. But it also protects patients from cancer recurrence. We call that secondary prevention. And fortunately, that's, that's now a very actively researched area. How do we use exercise not only to keep our patients strong, independent, and able to tolerate their cancer treatments, but, but to use exercise actually as a, as a primary modality for treating cancer. Well, I'm going to close by asking you the same question that I'd asked Andrea, and that is, uh, what would you summarize as being kind of the central takeaway from this study that you'd encourage listeners to this podcast to, to take to heart? First and foremost, this is, this is going to bring better care to patients wherever they are. The ability to access some of the best experts in cancer rehabilitation care now becomes um, more, more prominently uh, available to this patient, to patients anywhere. But the most important thing I think that patients can take away from this is First of all, this was a group of, uh, of patients that were enrolled here that had advanced cancers, so stage 3, late stage 3 and stage 4, which are fairly advanced stages of cancer. Um, and, and these individuals 
probably don't have the best levels of function. And to see that even with advanced cancer, rehabilitation made improvements in function and in pain. So patients who are out there listening to this, individuals who have a loved one going through cancer treatment, rehabilitation has a strong evidence base and should be a part of the care for an individual going through cancer treatment, even for those who have very advanced cancers. Improvements in function, improvements in pain are, are not in, inconsequential. An individual who can remain functional in their home, remain um, functional going to work, those are very, very important uh, things to consider. You know, the ease of access, um, I think, is also something that we will continue to see develop through the tele-rehab models. But for patients, really, I think a take-home message is cancer rehabilitation and rehabilitation interventions can be incredibly helpful to support you through the duration of your cancer care treatment, but also can help to reduce those those times that you're in the hospital or the number of days that you're in the hospital um, in addition to the functional improvement. So I think patients should be seeking out and should be asking, how do I, how do I find a therapist? How do I get engaged in an exercise program or with a rehabilitation professional who can guide me in exercise and activity during cancer treatment? It should be an ongoing process. We don't want to wait until people develop problems through cancer treatment. We want to be there walking side-by-side side with them to support them through the duration of their treatment to optimize their function. And, and as you say, you don't. Uh, if you're a patient, you don't necessarily need to be uh, uh, cowed or intimidated by the fact that there maybe is not a, a cancer expert PT in your area because uh, what this study is saying is that you can connect with those resources. Potentially in the future, there should be, hopefully, if we see this scale and extend, there will be more ways for you to connect with an expert in cancer rehabilitation. So I think it's important for patients to ask the question of their medical providers, their oncologist, their surgeon, um, even the navigators that they're working with through on their cancer team. Where's the rehab provider? Where's the physical therapist? Ask that question because that resource should be there, should be available to you. We don't want to wait until you have problems um, to have to fix them. We know that we can work with you proactively, which is exactly what this study did. It worked with patients proactively to help to avoid the disability and the impairment and the loss of function. It helped them to maintain and even improve. And that's where we want and need to be with, with the cancer population. Andrea Cheville, Nicole Stout, thank you so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio. We really have appreciated it. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com.